Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am your host, Damon Pistolka, and I am excited for our guest today because I have Carla Fowler here. And Carla, I didn't ask before it, but is it Thaxa? That is executive. correct. Oh, exactly good. Like right. Thaxa Executive Coaching. See, like I like I asked me like a good host should have. I didn't. Sorry. Um, but we're gonna be talking with Carla Fowler today. Dr. Carla Fowler. I mean, I'm really kind of embarrassed to be in the same room because it's Dr. Fowler is an MD, PhD, and an elite executive coach. You for the last decade, for the last decade plus. I've been a secret weapon for many CEOs, entrepreneurs, and under senior leaders, helping them, you know, improve their performance in their lives with your coaching. So I am just excited to have you here today. Well, David, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yes, yes. So, so tell us to start out with Carla. Tell us, or should it be Doctor Fowler? I oh, like Carla that. is great. Okay, yeah. okay. So. Tell us about your background a little bit, because you're not probably the typical executive coach. That's a, a very true statement. <laughs> and the truth is, you know, what I've been working on for the past 10 years um, is really building my executive coaching practice. And I, I love helping leaders use performance science to level up the results they're getting. But I did not always know that that was what I was going to be doing. And, um, you know, really, maybe, I, I don't know how common this is, but uh, as I approached my career starting out, I was really um, thinking about how do I build capabilities, uh, you know, that would be marketable? How do I follow and work on things that I'm interested in? Uh, how do I work with smart people on problems that seem important or, or matter? And I uh, kind of followed that path, and that path originally led me into science and medicine. And so... Uh, you know, they have these programs where you get an MD and a PhD and you sort of you sign up for the whole ride. Yeah. And uh, I was and it's funded. And I was like, that seems like the best deal ever. <laughs> so uh, I that was what I spent most of my 20s doing. And I did get to work on really interesting things. And um, it was a really great journey to learn how to think about a problem, particularly about unstructured problems. So a lot mm -hmm. of science is actually you walk into the lab every day and you don't know any of the answers. Like your whole job is to sort of figure out what you don't know and to keep building on that. And uh, and the other thing that was interesting about that time was even as I was uh, headed into the clinic in medicine, you know, it was a pretty unique opportunity to get to work with people, um, have really deep discussions with patients and colleagues about kind of high stakes decisions 
um, mm -hmm. at a pretty young age, like a younger age than we often get to do that kind of stuff when we are on other career paths. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot about that journey that actually really led um, into what I do now, which is, you know, thinking about and working with people on stuff that is high stakes, that matters to them, um, really talking about those things, thinking about performance, um, and particularly in areas where things are really uncertain or where there's risk involved. And so it's such a, a unique way to get into executive coaching. But for me, uh, ultimately, it kind of led there. And all the capabilities I was building in a really different context, which was medicine and science, have helped me in so many ways as I then went to both build a structure for coaching that I thought would help for the kinds of problems leaders are facing today, the sorts of, uh, you know, innovations or um, uncertain uh, paths that they're trying to walk and, um, and how to really deal uh, with the, the stress and all that comes with that as um, you're trying to, you know, build something that hasn't existed before or um, mm -hmm. grow something to scale. So yeah. that's, that is how I got here. Yeah. Yeah. Because I looking at your background and you know, you, you uh, did an internship in general surgery at Stanford, you know, it's, it's, it's not your typical uh, coaching career path that you would think, but as you, you explained the science behind it does prepare you very well to establish, you know, the way that you can coach and use the, the performance science behind it to really drive, drive good results. So in your, in your time doing this, as we've talked about, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people when they're, they're trying, they're trying out, uh, trying to improve their performance or their coaching, but just let's, let's start down that path a little bit. Awesome. Well, none of us like to make mistakes. We have all made many mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think there's actually, when we think about performance, we often come at it with some like misperceptions about what we think it should look like. And I think that's sometimes what leads us into uh. mistakes. And um, so, you know, like one of the mistakes, for example, is we often think like, oh, I need to have an action bias and I need to like, I got to do a bunch of stuff. And if, uh, you know, if I have, uh, want to start to see some results, we automatically go to doing and I having an action bias is a great thing to have. So this isn't to say that's the mistake, but mm -hmm. I think the mistake we sometimes make is we don't take a moment, take a breath to define uh, what we want and also what's most important for getting there. And, uh, Usually what is more likely to have happen is uh, we have a pile of to-dos, like a list that is a mile long of things that we haven't really vetted, but we kind of know they're associated with what we want and we just like get going on that. Um, or we sort of have a daydream or a fantasy, but it's not super well formed. And the thing about fantasies is that they don't have to obey the laws of the real world. <laughs> like you know, we can have a fantasy about something we sort of want, but we haven't ever had to translate it into the fact that we have 24 hours of a day in a day. Mm -hmm. We have other commitments that might be really important. And, um, and also that, uh, you know, 
there's gravity and <laughs> all these sort of physical laws that we we have to um, obey. And so the thing that uh, I think is really important when we when we realize that either gosh, I feel like I'm doing a bunch of stuff, but I'm not sure I'm seeing results. Or, gosh, I've had this dream for forever, and I'm really just not making any progress on it. The thing and the tool that I always like to say is, like, that is a great moment to ask yourself some more questions about what you want. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I like to say, if it's sort of the daydream, and even if you're like, I don't even know how I would start to translate that, to ask the question of, like, well, what would it look like to have some as opposed to have none? Like, if you wanted to have introduced some of this idea into your life, you know, what would oh, it yeah. look like um, is a great way to look at it. But um, really, I just encourage people to sit down, take some time and start to try and write out and put into some concrete words, because even that act of trying to put it into words forces us to bring it more into reality and mm -hmm. to give it some descriptors. If there are numbers involved, that's helpful, too. Um, yeah. But once we can identify that target, like what we really want, that's the thing that then puts us into position to actually try and figure out the how. So I, I try and always say, when you're starting out, don't get distracted by the how. There will be all sorts of reasons why you don't know how to do it or you don't have time to do it or any of these things. But start by just working to get to some clarity of what you actually would really want and what it mm -hmm. could look like in the reality of your life. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's mistake number one that I think we all do. Uh, even, even I do, I have to stop myself and say, okay, like time to define what you really want for this. Yeah. Because if you have a clear target of where you want to go, then you can start to plan the journey. Yes. And, and it's so you're, you're, you know, and it's people say it as you got to go slow to go fast or whatever you want to mm -hmm. do, but that, that step, like you said, that taking that breath and, and really moving that way first allows you to to go the right way and, and do it. Yeah. And in the end, you'll get there faster, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as you as you go along, so now we've got our target and mm -hmm. then then is that when some of the realities of the, the <laughs> gravity kicks in or what are we what are we talking about then? Oh, yeah. Great question. Okay, well, this brings up another another thing that I like to think about. So it's this idea of often we want to know before we go, <laughs> is what I say. And what it's like we want to have figured it all out before we get started. And it's like, no, I've got the whole plan, the whole process, and I have 100% like confidence that's going to work. And it's like we want to pull all that together. We want to know the whole story and the punchline before we get started. The problem with this as a, as a way of thinking about things is that um, it, we get stuck before we've even started. Mm -hmm. uh, there's often some inherent uncertainty um, to the things that are most interesting to do in life or in work. Uh, they're often not the really kind of clear cut, there's a workbook for this or you know, <laughs> uh, a playbook. And um, I also think and so we do it, I think, because we want to have the right answer before we put in any work. We want to have 100% mm -hmm. confidence. But I think it's actually some of the most valuable stuff we do is the work to figure out how we get what we want in life. It's that the learning from that 
I, getting what you want is awesome. But I would say part of what feels so great about getting what we want is actually the amount of self-efficacy and the learning of how to approach a problem that we get in having got to that place. And yes. so, yeah. And so I think one of the reasons that we don't do it is we almost think there's like something wrong with us. Like we make ourselves wrong because we don't know the answer to start. But if we can sort of stop doing that and say, it's okay that I don't know exactly how, but what I could do is say, you know what, the uncertainty is something I could relish. It probably means there's some learning in front of me and something good out there that might be kind of mm -hmm. unique. And, um, and then my tool that I, I use with people is the idea of running a good experiment. Yes. Actually, there's two tools. Yeah, first one is run a good experiment. Yes, because I was going to say what you're what you're talking about really is I can see how this ties back to your your work as a scientist, because you really don't know you're you're testing hypotheses and, exactly. and seeing and good. So continue. <laughs> so and the nice thing about an experiment is when you're in science, like you, that's kind of how you walk in. That's the mindset you walk in every day. And you don't make yourself wrong for not knowing. You say, yes. no, it's my job to figure it out. And that will be part of the satisfaction when I get there. And, mm -hmm. um, and so the other great thing is when you can approach life and work and your goals or the things you want with this mindset, it sets you up to go so much farther. So I, I have this friend her, uh, and uh, she grew up in Croatia on the coast. And so she spent a lot of time swimming and there's islands and it's beautiful. And she brought up the point that, she was like, you know, you know, if you're swimming from the from the coast to an island and you can see the islands, like then you know where you're going and mm -hmm. you can swim it. She's like, but you know, you can't swim to any of the islands that you can't see unless you're willing to sort of swim out and know that you will there will be a time where you can't see where you came from and you can't see exactly where you're going. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you can create a process for yourself, maybe that's a compass reading a process that, you know, I'm going to run this process. And I think eventually I know I will see that next island because I think it's yes. over there somewhere. So that was her, her analogy for like how to think about it in life was like, all right, sometimes you got to swim past the horizon line to get where you yes. want to go. So um, the other way to look at this, so there's sort of two ways to look at it. Uh, one is just to say, what is the experiment I could run here that I think would teach me something useful that uh, has the potential for an upside and that the downside of it is um, reasonable to me. Usually it means you want an outsized upside to the downside. <laughs> uh, so you set yourself up not to be in great risk is my point. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, think a little bit about how you will uh, read out your experiment. So how might you interpret what happens? What are you going to try? How long are you going to try it? Um, how might you know it was working? How might you learn if it was not working and why? And those, I think, are three great things to think about when you're saying, okay, I'm going to approach this like an experiment. Uh, I like asking those three questions yeah. because it helps you put shape to it. Yeah, that's for sure. So when the, back to the example of swimming to the island, I think that's so, it's a, a very, relevant example because a lot of times when you're talking with people 
they have goals that could be years away. Exactly. Maybe a lifetime away. So are there things that we can do that kind of give us an idea if we're heading in the right direction? Because that's that's really what I think is because I think of the whole thing in, in career or life, whatever we're trying to do. It's really about oftentimes you never have a, a destination like I'm going to this point. Right. It's really am, am I moving in the right direction more than than that? So how do we know? Yes, <laughs> if we're going. <laughs> this um, this is a great question. And there's a process that I have found to be really useful. It's sort of, I don't know, it's an exercise. It's something you can do. You can think through mm -hmm. it. You can write out some answers. But um, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about milestones. Mm -hmm. So what might be some milestones along the way? So using the island example, it might be like, well, I know I hit this island. And then I need to head a little left of that island. And that points me on my direction. And I just need to hold yes. that. But um, Sometimes we know what those things are. Sometimes we don't. Uh, so the process that I really like is um, to, uh, it, I call it sort of the SPPS process or the S2P2 process. And okay. so what they stand for is states, stories, progress, and process. Okay. And the way you use this is to kind of ask yourself about what your current state is and also think about what is the future state. So this is the future state is sort of saying what you want. We already talked about mm -hmm. that. It's like, what's the mm -hmm. goal? How are you headed? Uh, and what does that look like? And really describing those things clearly. Um, and then what I like to do is, and this is, definitely links to the running experiments. Uh, I like to ask myself like, okay, well, what are some of the steps of progress that I think might link up those two states? And these are hypotheses, right? Sometimes you know, mm -hmm. sometimes you don't. But I think if you spend some time thinking about it, you can both identify what you feel confident about um, that you would need to be able to do. Uh, and also you can identify things you're not confident about, but that you think you could go learn about that might be necessary steps along the way. Mm -hmm. And then I like to ask myself the question of like, what do I think is most important as like a compounding driving um, set of actions or places I need to invest to move myself towards that? And that is really where we're starting to get into process. It's like, what is the process I think will help me drive progress along the way? And one of the ways you can hypothesize about this is you can actually define your past state, like where were you last year compared to where you are in your current state. And you can ask yourself, what progress did I make? And what processes have I tried? And so sometimes that can clue you into uh -huh. what's working. So if something's working, um, you know, that might be something you want to keep doing. Um, but so that's another place you can look. But Really, you want to start to identify what are some things you could do sustainably that would compound over time and start to move you in that direction. And uh, then I like to sort of say, and at what points in time would you want to reassess and yeah. say, okay, did I hit that milestone? 
was that milestone um, a good readout? Have I learned some things since investing in this that make me think it's not actually the right readout? Yeah. Um, but when you put some structure into place, it is okay if it's imperfect structure. And I think that's something that's really important because I think we often think we have to be perfect to reach our highest level of performance. But I think it's often we need to be thinking and at the wheel and we need to be paying attention and really investing sustainably. Um, and that that is much more important than perfection. Yes. Don't need oh. to be perfect. Well, we didn't talk about stories. I realized we didn't talk about the last piece of it. <laughs> so Let's the do it. story is important because when you're working towards something that you can't see over the horizon line, we need the stories that we tell ourselves and often that we tell others about what we're doing, why we're doing it, why we believe in it, and why we believe in our process. Because that's a big piece of what motivates us over time as we're walking into the uncertain. And yeah. those stories can be built on things we've accomplished in the past and strengths we have. They can be built on um, why we think our process is a good one, why we believe in it, like mm -hmm. what's, the, what's the data to support it. Um, so there's lots of different things we can build that story off of. But our brains hate uncertainty. And so it's worth giving them like a good story to just come back to and reground in uh, mm -hmm. when we have those moments of like doubt, uh, losing the faith, um, or it's just, it's been a long time since you've had some readout, like some feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, stopping and assessing once in a while is really important because as you said early on people think that it's doing 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 but really there's some times that you have to stop and just kind of take stock of where you're at right absolutely yes because it's it's uh so out of the the people that you help how many of them as you look at it as as they move up and they're they're i should say I don't even know the right word to use but how many of them come to you and when you talk with them and you go oh my goodness they have about 400 percent of what they really should be trying to do here and we need to cut it back down into you know much less i'll just say yes how do we approach that that question yeah. <laughs> yes I mean, yeah. is it is it one of the more common mm -hmm. things, the mistakes that you see people making is like, I've got to do it, all this yes. rather than, you know, yes. boiling <laughs> it down? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and it makes sense. I think that's one of the misconceptions we have about performance is I have to do it all. Like I need to hedge mm -hmm. my bets. Anything that might be important, I should do it. And the result of that is actually that it dilutes our energy. Um, it often means some of the most important things we could do don't get our best energy or resources. Like they get some, but they don't get enough to get it over a threshold. Mm -hmm. And there's often a threshold effect in things. For example, uh, like if you were looking for investment for your company, you need to get enough investors at the table that they start to, with that social proof, spill over into commitments, for example. Um, and, you know, for example, when you go into a fundraise, I would often say it is much better to really make sure you've opened up the right amount of time to really devote to it and do kind of that full press on it 
You don't want to be like half-time, part-time dabbling in fundraising. Um, yeah. So that's just an example, um, you know, from mm -hmm. how to think about some of these things from clients. And so, but your question is, yeah, how do you help people with this? Because it's a common issue. And in my coaching practice, one of the things that I actually designed right off the bat that had to be a piece of the process was to help people get to clarity. And I call it brutal focus about All right, what, brutal what focus. they want to have happen, which we already talked about why that's yeah. important and what is actually most critical to get them there. Like what are the gears, the big gears, not the small gears, but the things that really help you make that progress that you need to be investing your best time and resources in because they have an outsized impact compared to all the other stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and the way I do that, actually, we do this sort of deep dive. I do a five hour onboarding session with clients and many mm -hmm. people are like, that sounds really long, but it's actually pretty energized and we get to the end of it and people have so much clarity because we take time to get into all the we the weeds. We kind of lay them all out. And so mm -hmm. sometimes when I'm talking to people, people at home, people who want to start to come into this process of like brutal focus, um, I often recommend if you've taken some time to define what you want, the next step is really to kind of do a brain dump of like everything you think is important or that you're currently doing to try and like move yourself in that direction. And mm -hmm. it's often great to get a big piece of paper <laughs> um, and really just everything you can think of, even the stuff where you're like, I should be doing that because I think other people are doing that or I read about that thing and um, really kind of lay it all out there. And I think that releases our brain from having to remember it all once you mm -hmm. sort of put it in front of you. But then the process I go through with clients is sort of a way of sorting or prioritizing or connecting the dots of these things. So you could like look at that list and ask yourself, are some of these things related? Like, do they fall sort of in the same category? Are they all around like the business development by which I need to kind of build some pipeline for my business? Or, you know, are they related to more the making of stuff, like the creation of my service mm -hmm. or the codifying of that? Or so not the sales side, but the making stuff side. Um, or is it around fundraising? Like I need to not run out of money right now. <laughs> like We are pre-revenue. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but you can sort of start to group some things. I, another great step you can take is be honest with yourself and say, what's kind of extraneous? Like it's sort of nitty gritty, but it's not really a big thing. And yeah. are there things on this list I could just cross off? I could just choose not to do. Um, are there things you're doing because other people are doing them, but that you don't actually think they are a huge driver given your situation? Like for instance, um, some people have businesses where the sales pipeline is through social media, but mm -hmm. that is not the case for all businesses. And so mm -hmm. maybe you're spending a ton of time on social media, but it actually does not have any direct links um, or even indirect real social proof links to you know, your real revenue streams, yeah. just as an example. And so I sort of recommend going through the list and starting to pull out themes of what you think are the big drivers, even if they're just a category of things. Mm -hmm. And then I usually say, try and find three big ones and be real honest with yourself about the other stuff. Like if you had these three big ones and they were firing on all cylinders, would the other stuff be sort of okay? 
like if you didn't do it or if you let someone else do it or maybe you hired it out or um, mm -hmm. but I find then you can take those areas and actually ask yourself in this area what are really the three most fundamental parts that go into that so if one of them is don't run out of money like you know it's worth yeah. thinking about like okay that might be some mix of I'm fundraising for this and my revenue streams are currently at this and you know or if it's we need to scale um, that might be thinking about okay do I need to really focus more time on hiring like yeah. I, I can't let that be an afterthought it needs to be a primary activity mm -hmm. so um, it's and I find that you will generate sort of three big areas and you'll get kind of three sub points related to each of those and that is a great working draft yeah and then your goal is to figure out how much of all the other stuff can I start to clean out? Like, is there stuff I can just stop doing? And, or could I do it less well? Like maybe I'm doing it my 90th percentile effort. Yeah. Give it 5% effort, like check the box done. So these are, it's just a starting place, but going through the exercise does not have to be perfect. Makes you so much smarter about what you're trying to do and what matters most. And it, and it is brutal focus. It will feel a little painful <laughs> because yes. you're making cuts and you're simplifying, but um, it just is such a great exercise for the piece of us that wants to simplify and distill and make it more potent versus the, how am I gonna cram more in? I have no time as it is. Mm -hmm. Well, I think too, and one of the harder things that I've personally experienced is some of the stuff that you really enjoy. Maybe one of the things that you have to cut. Oh, Damon, that is the truth right there. And you know, this, this is a great place where you can employ the have some, right? So maybe what that means is you say, I can have some of that, but I need to not be investing as much time in it as I am investing mm -hmm. now. But what if I scaled it back by 50%? What if I scaled it back, you know, by 80%, um, but still got to do some of it? And sometimes those halfway measures or those partial measures are a really good ramp to making progress and making the evolutions that need to happen in a business. Because mm -hmm. often uh, many people really hate sales until they feel like they've had enough practice that it doesn't feel like, um, it like really awkward and like, I'm just trying to get you to buy something and they get comfortable building a relationship and really listening to someone and understanding what they need and being able to connect your product to their need. Like, mm -hmm. but that takes practice. And if we don't have time to invest in it, um, we stick with the stuff we like yeah. because we feel great at it. And that is so natural and very normal. <laughs> yes. Yes. So as you're, as you're going through this, you know, you've, you've got the uh, systems that you put together, the processes you put together behind this. What are, what are some of the things that universally that you're going to do? And we talked about one, I know your brutal focus. I think that's, that's awesome. Your onboarding is getting them, you know, starting out and doing that process. But then as we're, as we're there, what are some of the next things we're going to do? And then, then beyond that, what are some of the, kind of lead us yes. through that a little bit. Awesome. Well, so I love thinking about getting clarity to start because I think mm -hmm. one of the best things you can do as a coach is help people have more clarity 
like having discussion and asking questions to help them see more clearly where they want to go and what's most important. But the second thing that I think is the really important thing that coaches can add is to help people reduce friction to then making, making moves on those priorities. And okay. so, you know, the coach doesn't go run the race. Ultimately, mm -hmm. like the client has to go do things, but I have found that if you can help people get clarity and then reduce sources of friction, that then people build their own momentum because most people want to make progress. Like, mm -hmm. I think we all really want to win and feel like we're growing and achieving things. And so what happens next, I would say, is really where we start to reduce friction to help them uh, build momentum. And there's a okay. couple different sources of friction. <laughs> uh, one is often time friction. So this idea of, I don't have enough time to mm -hmm. now devote, where am I gonna find the time to really invest in these priorities? Another is often uh, a skills gap or knowledge gap around, I don't know how to do that. Like, yes, I should start selling. <laughs> um, I do not know how to do it. Like, I don't feel very mm -hmm. experienced at that, for example. Uh, and then um, I think the third source of friction is often around belief or mindset. The thing of like, do I believe I can go do that thing? So it's kind of a psychological friction. And um, what I have found is really useful is we can identify what kind of friction is at play. And sometimes it's multiple, say for a priority they have. And with regards to um, if it's something in sort of the belief area or even the like, I don't know how to do that. Uh, one of the things we talk about is like how to get started. And so sometimes getting mm. started means learning about that thing. Um, obviously, there are some skills that I can just coach people on about, give them good tips and habits about how to do it. But um, sometimes it's stuff that's really industry specific. And mm -hmm. so we start to map out, um, how could you just get started? Uh, you know, what would it look like to start? So sometimes yeah. that's mapping out all the things you might want to know and mapping out the different resources you think you could go to to get some of that information. Sometimes uh, you know what to do and uh, you just are feeling a little uncertain about it or not confident about it. And you maybe haven't been a beginner for a while. Like particularly, you know, if sometimes mm -hmm. when people are kind of mid-career, they've gotten comfortable, you know, they're good at the stuff they're good at, but it's time, you know, to maybe build a new area that you are yeah. consulting on or, and suddenly you're a beginner again. And I find uh, in this, scenario, uh, I call it the 90-90-90 tool, is a really helpful mental framework to uh, help people get into new stuff. Um, so the 90-90-90 the is just uh, that what people should know about starting anything is that usually 90% of people never start. They get an idea yes. about something, but they just don't yes. start. And then yes. of the people who start, eh, maybe 90% don't like keep going on it. Mm -hmm. They start, they dabble in it, and then, I don't know, a couple months later, it's like they're onto something different. Of the people who start and keep going, uh, you know, probably 90% of them don't ever sort of iterate or improve what they are doing to make it more effective. And so I, I like this tool because it actually encompasses a number of the things we already talked about today, which is 
you don't have to know everything before you get started. And, um, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And you can run experiments to figure out how to make it better. And so usually what I do is I try and help people figure out what are some first action steps that they could take. And mm -hmm. we don't worry about assessing how effective it is. We literally focus on getting started. And we then focus on opening up the time and figuring out how we help people consistently keep doing or practicing, whatever it looks like, depending on the skill. Um, how do they get opportunities to practice it uh, and yeah. keep just doing it? But I still, at that point, tell them to not worry too much about improving. Just like, just get the habit set of this is something I'm doing, it's something I'm working on, and I do this now. And mm -hmm. really figure out when do you do it in your day or week? You know, um, who are you interacting with? Who else is involved? What's your process for it? And just really understand how you're beginning to incorporate it. And the reason I say that is because so often we jump to step three where we're trying to like improve it and make it perfect yeah. right away. And that kind of kills our fire because we're often not put at it right away. And, and then we quit. And so... I love to help people get comfortable with being a little uncomfortable, being new at it, and have that not actually be so uncomfortable anymore. And that's often the stage when we can then start to ask, well, is there a small thing you could tweak about that that you think would make it better, but that would be would take no extra energy for you to like make that change? Mm -hmm. And so it's only after we feel really sort of comfortable with the just do it to then start to ask that question of, is there an experiment you could run that you think might make an improvement yeah. in this. And, but the, the key just being by that point in time, you're already a little more comfortable uh, and it's a little more normal that you are kind of working on this thing. And so that's the 90-90-90 tool. And I find it to be really effective as particularly as people are getting into something new. And you know, we talked about the um, state's uh, progress process and stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, that I find it's really helpful as a way to start um, having people design some process, even if they're not exactly sure what the process should be. You can also kind of use this 90-90-90 tool to oh, yeah. help people get going and start to figure out what's an effective process. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Very so, cool. And Very cool. Yeah. You kind of move around the priorities. And again, I recommend not trying to start all your priorities all at once. As yes. you pointed out so eloquently, we can overwhelm ourselves and it's great to focus on something, build some momentum, feel good about it before you start to add and layer on something else. Yeah. I think about the 90, 90, 90 and someone said, or I might've read something recently about how, as we get older, we get more afraid of trying new things. And if we could adopt the child mentality of, yeah. You know, I have to learn how to talk. I have to learn how to walk. I have to learn how to ride a bike. I got to do whatever, learn how to, you know, what school is like or whatever it is uh, to really back ourselves up to the point to where we, as you said, the 90, 90, 90, you're going to get, get doing it and you're going to continue to do it and get familiar with it. And then you can work on getting better at it as you do it. Cause I, you know, do do you think that's holding a lot of people back as they just are, are afraid to go back into the unknown of they really don't know how to do something and, and the whole process of 
learning and this uh, is funny. This is this is another one of the mistakes that sometimes that I see is that we often get kind of comfortable and it's funny, like earlier in our careers, we're actually okay with a certain level of discomfort of not knowing things, of not yes. knowing how to do things, like because our peers are in the same place and we're all just figuring it out. And it feels normal and we normalize it. And yet I think in our culture, we get to this point where we're like, I've made it, you know, I'm comfortable, I'm confident. And then this sneaky thing happens where we sort of stagnate and we stop growing. And, um, and it feels like a feature, but I think it's actually a flaw because as yes. human beings, we feel the most empowered when we feel confident to take on a challenge, to pursue it and to grow. And when we stop doing that, even if it's like feels comfortable, I think there's this sneaky sense of like, are the people younger than me going like, is my like, am I going to become obsolete or the landscape changes and suddenly we feel less equipped, but we also feel out of practice of mm -hmm. being a beginner. And so using the child analogy, the reason, I mean, babies are like fascinated by the world and they are like moving their arms. They're like, look, like my right thumb. Yeah, yeah, my <laughs> right thumb, exactly. It, yeah. It's freedom and more autonomy and control. I mean, like a toddler, like think about a toddler who is like wanting to be in charge of what's going on or like, mm -hmm. and just every little bit of new control or ability they have is like awesome. And yeah. I think it's true for us even as adults when we get back into the practice, which is why I like 90-90-90 as a way to kind of relearn and start to go back into something uncertain, be a beginner yes. again, but you don't have to do it all at once. And there are, you know, some good practices that can really help us with that. And start with a small thing. Like you have lots of stuff you're good at, pick a small uh, edge of growth. Like, you know, if you picture a pyramid, it could be just the top little part of the pyramid. And for people who are earlier in their career, even as you're getting good at stuff, I always recommend figure out what your edge of growth is each year and push on that. Ah. Uh, just like spend some time doing that because it will keep you feeling um, like confident. It will keep you interested. I think this is the, one of the ways we don't get bored, like in our careers mm -hmm. and in our jobs. And it will really equip us to deal with changes in the economic environment, in the landscape of technology, in all the changes that just are always happening. So that might be my my last sort of thought on that. Well, and it's it, it's very poignant. I think it's it's super important as as we get further along in our career. We if we're not, I believe anyway, if we're not doing something like that, like edge of growth learning or getting and people will talk about a lot and some don't really know what it means but getting out of your comfort zone into areas that you really don't know but you know that's where i've got to go and and then like you said do the 90 90 90 or a situation where i'm going to do it i'm going to figure things out and then i'm going to start to get better at it over time um we did we, this stagnation is so easy yes. if you if you really and and it will lull you into a false sense of security because you know there's 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 not security in much of anything if you're not changing with the times yeah. and with the the changing in in yourself your family the, the world and those kind of things so 
This is awesome. It's awesome talking with you, Carla, because <laughs> you can you can tell that the science background has really allowed you to develop ways, processes that you can help people through this. So it's, hey, here, here's what we're going to do. And I can explain the steps in the process because I think a lot of people look at coaching or look at other, other kind of things and they, they go, well, uh, it's kind of uh, flexible moving around. I'm, I'm not even using the right words, you know, but there's really not a process to it. And when you, when you lay down a process where people can, okay, I know what I'm going to do. Yeah going to be uncomfortable here but i can see where i'm moving to and and really help them so what we're we're getting close to time here and and i want to ask you one last question all right what do you enjoy the most about coaching why are you passionate about it you know i i am passionate about it because i have been obsessed with like thinking about performance and how are people good at things since I was in like fifth grade. Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> and so, but really like I loved challenging myself, but it wasn't limited to that. Like I loved watching other people and being like, Hey, do you like, how are you good at that thing? Or like learning from them, but also helping other people long before I was a coach, I would totally get into conversations with people about like, Oh, you're like, that's your goal. Oh, let's talk about, what would help you get there? Like, let's just ideate and let's talk about it and figure it out and strategize. And, um, and I mean, this has been true for me for sports. It's been true for me for academics, for work. Um, I even, my husband was making fun of me the other day because I sat down with some like takeout leftovers. And I was like, let me tell you why these Dan Dan noodles are high performing. Like this is a high performing lunch right here. And I, I just, I love thinking about why things work, like with, with regards to human beings and thriving and really being able to produce great work and great results. I love understanding why and I love like being able to help someone get that. And when I see how excited and how confident and just um, how capable that makes people feel when they learn mm -hmm. how to walk into uncertain stuff, like stuff that's not just like a gimme and yep. get it. Uh, I love it. Like it makes me so happy. <laughs> That's awesome. It, I'm I'm so glad I asked that question because I just saw your eyes light up and it went go because that's really what we want to understand is and really hear from you is why are you passionate about it? because you know when when you're talking about coaching high performing people they're not doing it just to do it. They're doing it yeah. because there's passion behind what they're doing. And they like to be around other passionate people that really do it. And I, I just think it's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, so, thank you, David. <laughs> Carla, it's been awesome having you again. We have Dr. Carla Fala here from Thaxa uh, Executive Coaching. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk with you, Carla? Uh, so a great way to um, learn more about my coaching and also get in touch if that is something you are interested in um, talking about and exploring whether it would be a good fit it, uh, is my website and that's uh, thaxa.com, T-H-A-X-A. And then uh, I love having conversations with people about performance. And so I'm on LinkedIn and that's a great place to follow me. I, I always post if I'm on a podcast talking about these ideas uh, it's always a little different and they're all great conversations. And so I always post them on LinkedIn and I'm at Carla Fowler. 
So that's a good spot Very also. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Carla. It's been a wonderful having you and, and learning from you. Well, thank you, Damon. I have loved it. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining again, joining us again on the Faces of Business. Now, if you want to talk to Carla, remember it's Carla Fowler and her website is thaxa.com, T-H-A-X-A.com and reach out. We'll be back again next week. Thank you. Hang around for a minute, Carla.